Take your Bibles and turn to Nahum chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. By the way, that, through it all, I've learned to trust on Him, depend on Him, trust in His Word. That's what our Sunday school campaign, a biblical worldview, you've got to trust the Word. Okay, so that's great. Hebrews chapter, no, excuse me, Nahum chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, we'll get that right, is uh, our text, and I've titled the sermon, Retro or Reason. Uh, some of you know my brother Dick is not here today. He had uh, hip replacement surgery uh, this early part of this past week, and so he's not here today, and... and um, you know, before he retired, he worked in a nuclear plant, and uh, I, I don't know what he did there, but he did something there, but uh, reading gauges and doing things of that nature, but uh, he worked in a nuclear plant. So when I called him up, I says, well, Dick, uh, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm working on an aquathermal treatment of ceramics, aluminum, and steel under constrained environment. Wow. Uh, you know, th- these ex-scientists and all that, that, that that's got to be something. And, and aquathermal treatment of ceramics, aluminum, and steel under constrained environment. Man, boy, how impressive is that? Till I found out that uh, he was washing dishes with hot water under Lucy's supervision. Uh, Oh, well, he's home. If he was here, he couldn't catch me anyway. All right. Okay, Nahum chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. And there we read this. And I will cast abominable filth upon thee and make thee vile and will set thee as a gazing stock. And it shall come to pass that all they that look upon thee shall flee from thee. And say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who shall bemoan her? When shall I seek comforters for thee? Now shall we pray. Father, I pray now that as we look into this message today, Lord, I pray that you would just move in a very special way. Help us to look. unto you for all reason is found in thee and thee alone and in your word so father I pray that you'd help us to look into thee today I just pray you'd help me to rightly divide the word and thy Holy Ghost would take that word home to each heart under the sound of my voice and Lord do much more than I have the ability to do give a greater understanding of the word to each one as they hear in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. People today speak of the retro look. Retro is imitative of the past. Sometimes we seniors, uh, we, our favorite pastime seems to be reminiscing, looking back. Middle-agers do that. Even young married adults, they look back at their high school years and things of that nature. So people like to do that, and it's kind of a retro thing of looking back. And many times it may have a nice odor to it. 
some look back with regret and realize that the very worst odor of their life was that thing that left the terrible odor of regret. And although at the time it seemed to be a very nice odor, it has ended up as an odorless gas that just destroys and kills. Some look ahead in the same manner, and they use reason in order to change the course of life from the present. That can also end up a terrible odor and regret, or it can be an odor that is great, invigorating, it's good, because it was built on verifiable truth, the truth of God. In our text, we see, first of all, in verse 6, the retro look. And there he says, And I will cast abominable filth upon thee, and make thee vile, and set thee as a gazing stock. When God says, I will cast abominable filth upon thee, he means he's going to make the destruction of Nineveh, of whom this book is addressing, of Nineveh so abominable and disgusting that it makes even a normal man sick to think about it, let alone to look upon it. When Nineveh falls, the flow of blood, the decapitated and dismembered men, as well as the destroyed by fire bodies, will leave a very terrible odor in the city of Nineveh. It'll be abominable. It'll be disgusting. The women will be publicly ravished to their shame. And yet, just the day before, the highest standard of living, the best perfumes of that day were in Nineveh. But the walls are now leveled and the the, the homes are destroyed. And in a short period of time, the land of Nineveh will be covered with desert sand. And it will be so much covered that it will be over 2,000 years before the very place where Nineveh existed is founded. It will take archaeologists digging and coming upon it. Alexander the Great rode over the place called Nineveh about 350 years after Nineveh was destroyed and did not know that he was riding over the top of Nineveh where it had once existed. It wasn't a place where they would set up camp. It was desert land. No one, not one in a short time, looked back in nostalgia and said, oh, what a great place that was. Oh, man, I miss it so much. That was so great. We ought to go back. 
No one had that thought. It makes me think of the Russian, the Russian coalition that's going to come in the seven-year tribulation period yet to hit this earth. As they come against Israel with all their armies as described in Ezekiel chapter 38. And we're told the devastation will be so, so wide and so complete that there'll be seven months in the bearing of all the bodies, Ezekiel chapter 39, verses 11 and 12 tells us. And that's yet to come. Later in the tribulation, we think of Armageddon. The blood will flow to the horse's bridle, we're told, in that great valley. And by the way, if you go over there and you see that great valley, it's one of the most fertile valleys in the world. But blood will flow to the horse's bridle in that great wide valley. The angels in Revelation chapter 19, the angel of the Lord will call out in verses 17 through 21 to the, to the fowls of the air to come and the feast on the blood of, of kings and of, of captains and of men and, and so forth and of the soldiers that are there. And the Bible says that those birds will be filled. And the word filled has the idea that they will actually be gorged. They'll be so full. And on we could go about these things. That's the retro look and the forward look that the world has ahead of them who are without Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Religion will not get you into heaven. And let me go a little bit further on, out on this limb. Central Baptist Church will get no one into heaven. This preacher won't get anyone into heaven. Heaven is obtained only through the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was His shed blood, His death, His burial, His resurrection that purchases the salvation of any who will receive Him as their Lord and Savior. Now there is a retro look for us in that. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, we read this. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead. That was nearly 2,000 years ago. The first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. Unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory. And dominion forever and ever. Amen. Oh, my goodness. Retro look, what he did. And then the reason of the future look, what he's going to do for us in him. Now, for this present day, we have a promise in 2 Timothy 3, 12. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Didn't say all saved people suffer persecution. But all saved people that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And yet, of all that suffer persecution, none of us will suffer as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ suffered when he had our sin hoisted upon him and he paid our penalty. We read in Romans chapter 8, verses 17 and 18, 
and of children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Oh, we have a good reason to walk with Christ, to serve Him, to even suffer for His name. Joint heirs with Christ, not just saved so as by fire, not being ashamed at His coming, but having stood and learning that great is the reward in heaven. And so he says, join heirs with Christ so that be if we suffer with him, if, if we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now look, there's different degrees of suffering. I was, I was thinking, I was talking with someone the other day, uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I can remember my dad, one of the reasons, I waited until I was about 25 or 26 to go off to college to study for the ministry was that. I grew up in a pastor's home. I knew that from the beginning to the end, it never lets up. You're, you're falsely accused. You're lied about. Things like, I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to expose my family to that. Glad I did. Looking back now, that's the way I got even with my kids sometimes. But, but that goes on. It goes on. But then that suffering and that, that thing, and that, that that you go through, is nothing like those people that were over in the Middle East. And some people say, do you know what kind of Christians they were? No, I don't know, but I do know this. They're given a chance to reject Christ or watch their own children be beheaded and burnt. And they would not reject Christ. Some had the opportunity to have, uh, the, just to reject Christ and to accept Islam and, and they would be spared and they wouldn't do that. That'll go off in a minute. Okay, so don't worry about it. Don't let that distract you, okay? It distracted me, but don't let it distract you. Okay, but what I'm saying is those people, for the cause of Christ, either were slaughtered, burnt in cages and everything else, but they would not reject Christ. Now, I give you those two illustrations to say this. The rest of that verse says there in Romans 8, 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. How great is the glory of heaven? I can't fathom it right now. I really can't. But how great is that glory that to think that it will make that kind of suffering seem minute in comparison to the greatness of the glory that we have in heaven. Oh, how beautiful heaven must be. How wonderful it must be. And so, my friend, consider that before you give in to the lust and desires of this world. The retro look of looking back and seeing what Christ has done for us should tell each of us and should help each of us. To be true to him. Because reason says it's going to be so much better in heaven if we as saved people stay true to him. As all the traces of Nineveh are gone, so too in eternity. The wicked and the evil who seem to prosper in this life and nothing bad seemed to happen to them. And they lived in their sinful pleasures. They'll be in the, the debris of hell 
and completely forgotten. While we live in the new heaven and the new earth that is so well described in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. God said in our text, I will make thee vile. The idea is that it's a very humiliating, public embarrassment to these people. But that took me to the book of Malachi in chapter 2 and verse 9, where we read this. Therefore, have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people according as ye have not kept my ways and have been partial in the law. That passage is directed at the priest there in Jerusalem. The priest of that day would be similar to what a pastor is in this day. Only they were born into it. Today we're called into it. James chapter 3 verse 1 says, Brethren, be not many masters, the idea of teaching the word of God. Be not many masters knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. In other words, it will be more close judgment for the pastor, the preacher's those that teach the Word of God, than even for the other saved people that are called up. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, Remember them which have the rule over you. Who has the rule over you? Well, he tells you, Who have spoken unto you the Word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Having the rule over you is not talking about, Okay, you've got to ask me if you can go on vacation. You've got to ask me if you can have children. No, that's not it. This is within the house of God and, and the leadership of the whole of the church, okay? That's what it has to do with. But they that have spoken to you the word of God, whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation. By the way, that tells you then God expects the pastor to teach and preach the word of God. Not his philosophy. Not what the world tells him he should preach. Not what religious circles tell him to preach. What does the Holy Ghost of God tell us to preach? It's got to be His Word. It must be His Word. Verse 17, Obey them that have the rule over you. Who are they? They that speak unto you the Word of God. And submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Now look, sometimes, regardless of what we're talking about, it's sin. It might be uh, such a thing as immodesty. It might be such a thing as religious rock music. I mean, we can go on about the different sins that we could talk about right now. But what I'm saying is this, that regardless of what it is, I know that when I preach those things, there are people who are not going to like it. There are people who are going to hate it. There are people who are going to uh, go to others and say things to them about it. I know that. But you know what? Regardless of what they say, regardless of what they do, one day I've got to stand before the Lord, and here's this person. He's at the judgment seat of Christ, and they found out that was wrong. And he looks at me and he says, Andy Bloom, 
that person was in your church. Did you preach that? Did you teach that? And I'll give a report. And listen, I think by the very verse there, it shows that there's no joy for me if you messed up. There's no joy. Even if I preach, there's no joy if you messed up. I have to give an account. If that account says, yes, I preached it, that is unprofitable for you. Think that through. That's not what I'm saying. That's what the Word of God says. So, you think of 1 John 2, 28, what does it tell us? Some are going to appear before the Lord and have confidence. Some are going to appear before the Lord and be ashamed. You'll be saved so as by fire. Others will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful in few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, what will it be for you? What will it be for me? You see, the retro look can bring us to make either good decisions or bad decisions. As in Revelation 1, 5, and 6, looking back, he paid my penalty. Looking ahead, there is heaven. Kings and priests. I don't want to be saved so as by fire. I want to be saved and get there and be involved in the kings and priests thing. You know, I really do. So being smart about the aroma of the retro, may we all learn to proceed with the reason of the future that will make it a good thing and not an evil thing. Look again at verse 7. And it shall come to pass that they that look upon thee shall flee from thee and say, Nineveh is waste. Who will bemoan her? When shall I seek comforters for thee? We often read Scripture and you'll see something as your fathers did. Your father's messed up. Don't do the same thing. Your father's did right. Do the same thing. And you'll see that, especially in the Old Testament scriptures. The priests should have taught the law and lived it. They didn't. Unfortunately, there are too many pastors today that are in that same boat. So many choose the life of luxury and levity and lasciviousness. Turning God's grace into lasciviousness. Having departed from the way of righteousness and true holiness. I've heard, I've heard them excuse all of a sudden the things they preached as sin, the things they spoke against at one time. I've heard them say, well, you know, that just doesn't work today. But my question is, how does fulfilling the lust of the flesh bring one to righteousness and true holiness? How does fulfilling the lust of the flesh make people want to have what we have, a salvation from sin and the power of sin and the guarantee of eternal life? Ellen Redpath, I come across this and I thought I'd read it to you. I, can't memorize it, so I'll read it to you. He said, it is a pathetic thing to, 
find so many Christians believing that the best way to bear witness for the Lord is to imitate the devil's methods, to try to resist Satan by the same kind of program and technique, ability, and organization which he himself has perfected. The devil is a master craftsman, and he's been honing his skills for over 6,000 years. He knows that our flesh, what it wants, and he provides it for us, that we might have that insatiable enjoyment. It doesn't matter whether it's entertainment, music, literature, art, or carnal pleasures. His storehouse is full of whatever meets the fancy of our flesh. All we have to do is jump in. And Satan has been so, so good at being able to do that in the local church at his craft of evil. By the way, let me say this. There's one that has every year perfect attendance at Central Baptist Church. His name is Satan. And anything he can do to keep you from following the truth and standing in the truth, to water it down in any way, he will do his very best to do it. Verse 6, those people who deign to lower their so-called dignity to be held to the ridicule of the world ended up, we're told, a gazing stock in our text. That is a bad connotation. That's what happened to Nineveh. It also happened 150 years earlier. But Jonah was there. Didn't want to be, but he was there. But he preached God's word as it is to them as they were. And they heard the word. They repented and they believed. And they got 150 extra years. But by this time, there was no one speaking for the Lord. In Nineveh. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6 and 11. Now, these things were our examples to the intent that you should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. God said, Look, this idea is that, you know what, we've got liberty and we can do these things today. We're not under the law. Okay, go out and shoot some people in the head. Thou shalt not kill. That's law. Uh, tell your wife, look, I'm going to go out. I've got a date tonight with this young lady and all that, and I'm just going to be with her tonight. You're going to find out about the law. You're under the law. See, the Bible tells us that we're either a servant of sin or we're a servant of righteousness. Don't try to justify in your Christian life, being a servant to sin. It is never, never, never right. We try to justify it so that sin will no longer be evil. He goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 and 12, Now all these things happened unto them that happened unto Israel for our ensamples. <laughs> things that happened over 100, uh, 400 to 1,000 years earlier. Okay to 1,500 years earlier. It wasn't new in Corinth, and it's not new today. It's been the devil's way. He still deceives. 
He said, it happened to them for an ensamples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Therefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall, my friend. So many people I've heard over the years say, well, that would never happen to me. We better say, by God's grace, that'll never happen. How many have said that at one time, but now they've given in to the contemporary and the Calvinism and so many other isms? Proverbs chapter 14, verse 21 states it this way. Thou, fear thou the Lord, fear thou the Lord, and meddle not with them that are given to change. When you see a preacher starts all of a sudden changing the standards and changing things, the Lord says, get away from them. Get far from them. I, look, I know preachers that used to speak against the music, and now their churches are filled with that music. The Bible says, get away from them. Now, Andy Bloom didn't say that. God said that. Nobody has an argument with me on that. You have an argument with God. But that's what God said. Now, you either believe God or you don't. You either have a biblical worldview or you got a religious, philosophical worldview. Which will it be for you? You better choose the right thing. Nineveh had prospered financially. And all vice was there with simple pleasures, drinking, immorality prevailed. But they learned a truth that was written in the book of Proverbs about 400 years before that. Three to four hundred years. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. It happened. And it was sudden. It was so sudden they couldn't do a thing about it. Will you be saved so as by fire if you are saved? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Speaking to Christians says, For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. I wonder, does God have to, and I pray not, but does God have to get your children, your spouse? Does He got to take your job, your health? What will it take? For God to get your attention to walk in the ways of righteousness and true holiness. You're not answering me. Now it's between you and the Spirit of God. In our text, they were looking upon them. They were looking upon them that had so once prospered. Now, my friend, if you are saved, understand, you're not going to go to hell, but you can be saved so as by fire and be ashamed at his appearing. And that could take place just that quickly today. Suddenly, suddenly, so as you look back retrospectively and see that God's judgment when he passes judgment is so sure and it happened time after time after time in the word of God, what makes you think that it won't happen again? 
Well, I'm different. <laughs> You're not any different, and you'll find that out. No one bemoans Nineveh today. She was intimidating in her day. She was hard, but she in, ended up empty, without help, and forgotten. You know what? That same thing happens to the person that dies without Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Because that's forever. So let me ask you, do you know for sure that if you die today that heaven's your home? You say, well, preacher, I've heard you say it before. Jesus died on the cross for all my sin. It's paid for. Yes, it is. It's paid for. But it's not applied to your account until you receive it. But when you're receiving it, understand, it's just like the weddings in here. You're coming up. You're giving your word. When you walk out of here, you, didn't, you walk in alone. You walk in single. You walk out married. Now, two are one instead of one being one. When you come to Jesus Christ, that commitment to Jesus Christ is no less than marriage. Ephesians 5, uh, yes, 5 and verse 32. When he's going through all that passage about marriage, he says, I speak concerning Christ and the church. other words, your salvation. We have taught people so often, say this prayer. If you say this prayer. Look, I've talked to people that said this prayer, and they're no more saved than the man in the moon. Look, they're entering into a personal relationship. That's what it is. You know, well, well, not that. <laughs> oh, not me. Okay, just understand your future is eternity in a lake of fire. Now, sometimes we look back and we say, I was so foolish. I was so dumb. I was so stupid. But now you've got knowledge there is a hell. And Jesus is your only way to escape it. For he said, for I am the way, the truth, and life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. Acts 4.12 says, There is none other name given among men under heaven whereby you must be saved. My friend, you come to him as your Lord and Savior, and he will save you. But you must come to him. Oh, won't you come? Let's bow our heads, please.